0: So in my early years as a Christian, um, I had a hard time praying. Reading the Bible came pretty easily to me. I was motivated to do that, but I struggled to pray. And as I've looked back and tried to figure out why that was, I think the main problem was that I did not understand why prayer was important. I knew that the Bible taught that God was sovereign, which means that nothing, nothing can stop God's purposes from happening. I knew that's what the Bible taught, but I think in in my mind I was thinking if nothing can stop God's purposes from happening, then why bother praying? Because God's purposes are going to happen anyway. So I didn't see how prayer made any difference. But over the years, as I've continued to read and study the Bible, I started to see that question answered and the more passages I saw the more motivated I became to pray and so what I want to do this morning is share with you one of the most motivating passages I have found and it's in Isaiah the book of Isaiah chapter 62 now let me give you some background about Isaiah Isaiah was a prophet that whom God sent and gave his words to go bring to the people of Israel and Isaiah can be broken down into three main sections. So I want to give you the, the broader context in which today's passage occurs. So first of all in chapters 1 verse 30 chapter 1 through 39, we have prophecies that Isaiah gave to those who were alive at the same time that Isaiah was alive, messages to his contemporaries. He urged them to repent of their sin and to trust in God or they were going to face judgments that was Isaiah's message verses 1 chapters 1 through 39 tragically God's people rejected that message continued in their sin and idolatry and God brought judgment upon them the second part of Isaiah chapters 40 through 55 is written to the next generation who would be exiled in Babylon Babylon came and destroyed Jerusalem took God's people away they were in exile in Babylon they'd sinned God brought his judgment but this is a powerful section of Isaiah I would encourage you to read the whole book but in Isaiah 40 through 55 God comforts them he urges them to return to him and he gives amazing promises of how he will welcome them and love them and he gives one of the most powerful promises of the coming of the Messiah in Isaiah chapter 53 Jesus who would pay for the sins of all who trust him so that we can be forgiven and reconciled to God that's the second section of Isaiah third section chapters 56 through 66 where today's passage is found now this is written for following generations of God's people after they returned from exile and it's looking ahead with what God has promised to do for God's people throughout the future including us now all the way to heaven itself that's Isaiah 56 through 66 And today we're going to focus on Isaiah chapter 62, which is in this third section. But now to get the full impact of Isaiah 62, I want us to start with Isaiah 61. Because in Isaiah 61, God gives a list of astonishing promises of what God will do for His people. And remember, God's people in the New Testament time period is both Jewish believers and Gentile believers, both Jews and Gentiles who are trusting in Jesus Christ. We are God's people, so these promises apply to us today. So what does God promise in Isaiah chapter 61? I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but here's here's the highlights. first of all this is amazing god promises the coming of the messiah that's in verse 1 where isaiah gives us words spoken by the messiah now what's interesting is remember these were written 700 years before jesus was born and what's interesting is in luke chapter 4 jesus is in a synagogue on the sabbath day and the leader of the synagogue asks jesus would you come up and and choose a scripture from the old testament to read to us and would you expound on it for us and jesus did and he walked up and he opened up to this passage and here's the words that he read to those listening the spirit of the lord god is upon me because the lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor it's good news for those who are financially poor but especially those who are Spiritually poor, like that's all of us, right? We are guilty before God because of our sin. We are prone to wander away from God. We don't, we feel that every day. We are poor in spirit. He gives, gives good news to us. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Any brokenhearted here this morning? Jesus came to bind up, to heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives. We've all been captives under sins, guilt, and power. And Jesus proclaims liberty to captives. And the opening of the prison to those who are bound. We've all been behind prison doors, slammed shut. The the guilt of our sin, the power of our sin, imprisoning us. But Jesus came and the prison door opened and he released us. The opening of the prison to those who are bound. So Jesus read these words. And Luke tells us the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And then he said, Today, these words are fulfilled in your hearing. Powerful. So that's the first promise in chapter 61. God will send the Messiah. Second promise. God promises that his people will be strong as oaks. And full of joyful praise so God's people had been suffering in Babylon they'd been mourning sad sorrowful they had been faint and weak but listen to this promise God will grant to those who mourn in Zion Zion's just a word for the hill on which Jerusalem was built as a way of referencing God's people God will grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes which were a sign of mourning The oil of gladness, instead of mourning, sorrow. The garment of praise, instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. There's the second promise. Third promise. God promises that His people will be freed from shame and given everlasting joy. Verse 7. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. This is the new heavens and the new earth. It's a picture looking ahead towards heaven. In their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. I love that idea of everlasting joy. That's what's promised to God's people here. Fourth, God promises His people such joy Righteousness and joy in God that all the nations will notice parts of verse 10 and 11. I will greatly Rejoice in the Lord my soul shall exult in my God So the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations So here's what this all means even though earlier in the book of Isaiah we saw Israel sinning committing blatant idolatry again and again and again and God Warning them judgment will come and then God bringing judgment upon them. So God's people were devastated were oppressed were mournful God promises. I'm going to send the Messiah Who will bring forgiveness of sins to all who will trust him? I'm going to make you strong as oaks and joyful in praise I'm going to free you from shame give you everlasting joy And I'm going to cause you to have such righteousness and joy in God that the nations just say whoa They all notice what's happening? So that's isaiah 61 astonishing promises of what god will do now that brings us to today's passage isaiah 62 and in verse 1 we see how isaiah responds to these promises this is puzzling the way he responds so how does isaiah respond look at isaiah i'll start with verse 11 of chapter 61 just so we can get the flow of thought with that promise and then Isaiah's response in verse one. So verse 11, "For as the earth brings forth its sprouts and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations among God's peoples." Here's the promise, verse 11, and then here's Isaiah's response: "For Zion's sake, that is for the sake of God's people, I will not keep silence." And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness, same word as righteousness back in the verse 11, until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. So notice, verse 11, God promises God's people's righteousness is going to shine forth. And then verse 1 of chapter 62, Isaiah says, I will not keep silent or be quiet until God has God's people's righteousness shine forth, until her salvation shines like a burning torch. Now, what is Isaiah talking about when he says he's not going to keep silent or not going to be quiet? He's talking about praying. Praying is what's pictured by not keeping silent, not being quiet. So what Isaiah is saying in verse 1 of chapter 62, he will not stop praying until god fulfills these promises i'm not going to stop praying for the sake of god's people for zion's sake i'm not going to stop praying until god fulfills these promises so isaiah is saying i'm going to keep praying until god sends the messiah i'm going to keep praying until god's people are as strong as oaks and full of joyful praise I'm going to keep praying until God's people are freed from their shame and given everlasting joy I'm going to keep praying until God's people have such righteousness and such joy that all the nations notice so God has made amazing promises in chapter 61 and in the first verse of chapter 62 Isaiah says I'm not going to stop praying until God does what he's promised now that might raise a question in your minds it should raise a question in your minds If God has promised to do all those things in chapter 61 why does Isaiah pray that God will do them does that make sense I mean if somebody tells you I promise you I'm gonna be there waiting for you at Starbucks at 3 o'clock this afternoon I promise I will be there and you call him up at 12 o'clock would you meet me at Starbucks at 3 o'clock this afternoon well yeah I promised I will okay thanks 1 o'clock Would you meet me at Starbucks at 3 o'clock this afternoon? Yes, yes. I mean, if God promises us things, why do we pray and ask God to do them? Now you might think, and and unfortunately some people do think, that maybe the problem is that God's not not quite strong enough to do these things on His own. Maybe God's got like 70% of the power to pull off these promises. These are big promises. Maybe God's got like 70% of the power, but then we need to come together and kind of, Pray and and send our positive thoughts his way and that might get up to 80% 90% bingo 100% the messiah comes and all these things happen Okay, no, that's not what the bible teaches. Okay, if that's what you're thinking You're wrong Here's one verse to show that jeremiah thirty-two twenty-seven. God says behold I am the lord the God of all flesh, is anything too hard for me? And the answer is no. Nothing is too difficult for God. He does not need any help from us to fulfill any of his promises. Nothing is too hard for him. God could do all those promises with one hand tied behind his back, even two hands tied. God, God has, he can, He's the God who spoke and a massive universe was created which is what millions of light years wide I forget the most recent figures but this vast huge universe was created with one of God's words let there be and it was so God does not need our help are we clear on that grace church it's not like we got to pray make sure these promises happen God doesn't have quite the power we need no he has all the power he needs so then why does Isaiah pray for God to do what he's promised to do? Well, we could think, okay, maybe, maybe Isaiah knows God's strong enough. Maybe he's just not sure that God's actually going to do what he's promised. Maybe Isaiah doubts that God will do them. But in verses 2 through 5, we see that that is impossible. Look at verses 2 through 5, and notice how many... Because in, the, in verses 2 through 5, God repeats promises from chapter 61 and adds even more promises in and notice how many times the word shall is used here verse 2 God promises that all the nations will see our righteousness verse 2 the nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory it's going to happen God is going to do it second half of verse 2 God promises us a new God-given name and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give Verse three, God promises that we will shine with beauty and royalty. Verse three, you shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. Again, remember Israel had been beaten down, had been oppressed because of her sin, conquered, destroyed. Jerusalem itself was ruins, empty. And God says, you're going to be a crown of beauty in my hand, a royal diadem in my hand but it it shall happen it will happen and then fourth God promises that instead of being forsaken and desolate we will be his delight and married to him verse 4 you shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate but you shall be called my delight is in her God's just gonna delight in his people. My delight is in her and your land married. Instead of the land being empty of people and desolate in ruins, it's like a marriage took place. For the Lord delights in you and your land shall be married, no longer abandoned. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall, this is spiritually, your sons marry you. In other words, you'll be populated again. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. How many times is the word shall used? Anybody counting? Eight times. I think I got that right. Eight times. This shall happen. This shall happen. This shall happen. Shall, 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 shall. Eight times. There is no doubt in Isaiah's mind that God will do everything he's promised. Isaiah knows God's got the power, and if God promises, he's going to do it. These things will happen. Okay, but then why does Isaiah pray that God will do what he's promised to do? Why? And this isn't just a problem in this passage. This is this is all through the Bible. Here's some examples. God promises that he will keep us in the faith, keep us from falling off finally into sin and take us all the way to heaven. God promises that. But as we saw last week when Pastor Ben preached on the Lord's prayer, God calls us to pray, "Keep me from sin." Keep me from sinning. So, in other words, do what you've promised to do. You've promised to keep me from sin and bring me to heaven. Keep me from sin. We pray for God to do His promise. Why? God has promised to save people from every nation, tongue, and tribe. Book of Revelation, we see them standing there before the throne and before the Lamb. Every nation, men and women, every tongue, every tribe. There will be people saved from every single ethno-linguistic group which means God's gonna be sending out laborers into all these groups to preach the gospel. God will do that. And yet Jesus calls us to pray that God will send out laborers. Send out laborers to save people from every nation, tongue, and tribe. You've promised to do that. We pray that you would do what you've promised. So are you feeling the problem? I I wanna have you feel this because we're gonna be coming to the answer about why in just a moment, but one more example. God promises to send Jesus to the earth at the end of history. Does anybody have any doubt that Jesus will come back at the end of history? Jesus, you shouldn't have any doubt. Jesus Christ will come. God's promised. It will happen. And yet, the next to the last verse in the book of Revelation, we pray, come, Lord Jesus. Come. God has promised that Jesus will come. And he wants us to pray that God will do what he's promised. Come, Lord Jesus. Okay, so do you feel the problem? I want to kind of set you up with this all through the Bible we see God's people praying that God will do what he has promised he will do why it's because God has chosen to give our prayers a crucial role in the fulfillment of God's promises we can see that right here in verse 1 of chapter 62 Isaiah says, I'm not going to keep silence or be quiet until you fulfill these promises. Which means he knows that prayer has a crucial role in the fulfillment of the promises. God has chosen not just to fulfill his promises without any of us praying. He has chosen to fulfill his promises through our praying. Now let me give you just a couple of examples of how this might look. Or how that language works let's say God promises I will provide for you I promise to provide for you through your work so there's the promise right and he's gonna do that through our work there's what we do we work so if you if God says I promise to provide for you through your work what are we gonna do we're gonna work okay look that's, that's not complicated okay if God promises I'm gonna provide for you through your work then we trust his promise and we work with confidence he's going to provide if God tells you I'm going to send you to I'm going to take you to Alain by driving what do we do we get in the car and we drive okay so then if God says I'm going to fill the earth with my glory I am going to conquer Satan's kingdom I am going to purify my church I'm going to save people from every nation tongue and tribe and I'm going to do this through your praying What do we do we pray because God has chosen to have our prayers play a crucial role in the fulfillment of his promises now we can see this earlier in the book of Isaiah I'm so glad God showed me this illustration Isaiah 37 the king of Assyria his name is Sennacherib okay the king of assyria is starting to threaten to attack judah and look at what god promises in isaiah 37 7 here's a promise god says behold i will put a spirit in him in This wicked King Sennacherib who's trying to attack God's people. I will put a spirit in him so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land. And I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. So here God promises, don't worry about King Sennacherib. He's going to hear a rumor, leave you, go back to Assyria, and he's going to be killed in Assyria. So God promises, you're going to be fine, Israel. Do you hear that? See that promise? And look at what King Hezekiah does then in verse 20, 13 verses later. He prays and asks God to do what he's promised. He says, so now, O Lord our God, save us from his hand. Save us from King Sennacherib's hand. So Hezekiah heard the previous promise that was spoken right to him. And now he prays. So now, O Lord our God, save us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. So God has promised, I'm going to deliver you from King Sennacherib. Hezekiah prays, God deliver us from King Sennacherib. And what happens? Verse 21, the next verse. Then Isaiah the son of Amos sent to Hezekiah saying, thus says the Lord God of Israel, because you have prayed to me. Underline those words in your Bible. Because you have prayed to me. This is because you've prayed. You prayed and because you've prayed concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him. She, people of Israel, picturing her like a virgin girl, despises you, she scorns you, the virgin daughter of Zion. It's kind of like a a young girl who was just being threatened by being attacked by some ogre man, and then the police come and take him away in handcuffs, and she is mocking him. She's scorning him. In other words, Israel is going to be fine. God has spoken. This is going to happen. And, And why is this going to happen? Because you, Hezekiah, have prayed so look at this combination we've got God's promise here's what I'm going to do we've got Hezekiah praying God do what you said you were going to do and then here God proclaims because you prayed I did it God's promise our prayer God's proclamation and all that illustrates that God has chosen to have our prayers play a crucial role in the fulfillment of his promises our prayers play a crucial role. So think about it like this We're there in heaven with all of God's people. There we are. And Jesus has promised in Matthew 16, I will build my church. He's promised to do that. And so you've taken time here on earth before you're in heaven, you've labored in prayer, build your church. Maybe, maybe we've prayed, Lord, Lord, raise up another Arabic-speaking church here in Abu Dhabi, which is something that we here at Grace Church are praying God will do. Lord, plant a church out in Ruay, So We need, a, need another church out there. Lord, plant churches. Jesus, you said you would build your church, so we're praying. Plant a church, an Arabic-speaking church here in Abu Dhabi. And then, and then what if God works in response to our prayers and an, an Arabic-speaking church is planted in Abu Dhabi? So there you are in heaven. Now picture this. And God says, see that little, that little Arabic-speaking church, that little Abu Dhabi right there? And then he looks at you and he says, because you prayed, I planted that church. Because you prayed, I planted that church. That church is planted because you prayed. Or maybe we're laboring in prayer. He said he would save people from every nation, tongue, and tribe. And we're saying, God, send more People to to share the gospel in nearby countries around here in the Gulf region save more people We're fasting and we're praying for that and there we are in heaven And God says look at this contingent of people from this country uh, in the Gulf region And he says you folks over here because you prayed they're saved here today Woo! we're all gonna be celebrating see that's what this means because God has chosen to have our prayers your prayers play a crucial role in the fulfilling of his his promises god has promised that satan's kingdom will be defeated it will be crushed and destroyed there is no question about it that will happen but god has chosen to have our prayers play a crucial role in the fulfilling of god's promises so we pray lord here in abu dhabi push back the powers of darkness Let your kingdom come. Let your saving will be done. Destroy everything raised up against the knowledge of Jesus Christ in this place. Lord, we pray that you would do this. And there we are in heaven and we're celebrating Satan's kingdom was destroyed in the world. And picture God pointing at you and saying, because you prayed. You, because you prayed, Satan's kingdom was destroyed. The gospel advanced in Abu Dhabi. So do you see how this works? Why does Isaiah... Pray and ask God to do what he's already promised to do. It's because Isaiah knows God has chosen to have our prayers, your prayers, my prayers, play a crucial role in the fulfilling of God's promises. So don't ever say that prayer just changes us. It does change us. Praise God, prayer changes us. But prayer changes the world because God has chosen to have our prayers play a crucial role in the fulfillment of God's promises. Now what about a time when we want to pray about something and we're not sure what, what God has promised? Like we've all been praying this week that we wouldn't have to be here this morning. We've been praying that we'd be in the Radisson this morning. So, so how does that work? And we've been praying and laboring and praying and you think, well, that didn't work. You know here we are so why bother praying but think about Romans chapter 8 verse 28 here's a promise that applies to this and every situation where Paul writes and says and we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose so there's the there's the promise okay and so we pray because we have that promise and we know that God has chosen to have our prayers have a crucial role in the fulfilling of the promise. We pray, Lord, we pray that you would bring great good through what you have happened Friday. And then I hope you prayed, Lord, it seems to us good that it'd be, be good to be at the Radisson. That way people aren't wondering where we are. They're not still looking for parking at, you know, after 11 o'clock or whatever. A lot of people can't make it here. Lord, it'd be, it'd be, we think it'd be best if we would be at the Radisson. So we're praying, Lord, do that. But see, we know... When Jesus taught about prayer he said that whenever we pray God will always do either exactly what we ask for or something even better which we probably wouldn't have received had we not prayed and so I want you to understand none of our prayers were wasted the fact that we labored in prayer Lord bring about great good Friday morning have us be able to meet at the Radisson have the approvals come through in time God has brought us something even better than what we prayed for. So there is good being experienced right now. There's already been good being experienced in our service. There's already been good and there will continue to be ripple effects of good because you prayed and said, God do great good Friday morning. He's promised to work everything for good. And we know that his promises that he's chosen to have our prayers have a crucial role in fulfilling his promises. Does that make sense? That's why Isaiah prayed. That's why Hezekiah prayed. That's why we pray. Because God has chosen to have our prayers have a crucial role in fulfilling of God's promises. Now, if we stop there, we'd be missing the main point Isaiah is making in this passage, though. And let's ask, who else is supposed to pray Like Isaiah. And look at verses 6 and 7. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. All the day and all the night they shall never rest. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give Him, give the Lord, no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. So it's not just Isaiah who won't stop praying until these promises are fulfilled. It's also these watchmen who won't stop praying until these promises are fulfilled. So who are these watchmen? So we always want to look for clues in the passage itself. So I looked for clues and... and The only thing I saw in terms of a clue is that these watchmen are people who long for God's promises to be fulfilled, right? I mean, they so long for God's promises to be fulfilled that they pray day and night. They labor in prayer. And that made me think of a verse in Luke 18, verse 8, where Jesus says, Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect his chosen ones those he is saving will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night and will he delay long over them I tell you he will bring justice about for them quickly now let me just give you that verse one more time now will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night just like these watchmen and will he delay long over them no he will bring justice about for them quickly. So I think that these watchmen who are laboring in prayer night and day is a reference to what all of us should be doing. God's elect, God's chosen ones. We so long for God's promises to be fulfilled that we labor in prayer day and night. See, when God saves you, He changes your heart. I mean, people who aren't trusting Christ have no interest in God's promises, right? But when God saves you, as you put your trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit changes your heart, and so you long to have Satan's kingdom destroyed, that people would be set free, that the guilty, the oppressed, would be brought into the joy of knowing God through Jesus, that the earth would be filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You long for God's promises to be fulfilled, and so you pray day and night. You labor in prayer to do what God's promised because you know that God has chosen to have our prayers have a crucial part in the fulfilling of God's promises. Now remember, God calls us to do other things besides just praying, okay? So like you gotta gotta keep your job, sorry. Keep working at your job, all right? Uh, Love your wife, spend time with your wife, play with your kids, teach your kids about Jesus. Get some exercise, get some sleep, have a a Sabbath day where you're just resting. So there's other things that God calls us to do. Fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Strengthen those in your home group. Share the gospel with lost people. Lots of other things God calls us to do. It's not just prayer. But prayer is one of the most important things God calls us to do. We are to be devoted to prayer. And as... 2019 was halfway through moving towards the end and as, as the elders and as I was been praying, Lord, what, where next for Grace Church. 2019 was a wonderful year of us growing in how to study the Bible. What a beautiful year God's given to us. But my sense is that in 2020, He wants to have for all of us, there be a whole new level of growth in prayer. I, I would guess that some of you Prayer is a duty you perform, but it's just not very life-giving. As Earl prayed earlier, just like feel like there's just silence, like nothing's, nothing's coming from the other side. Others of you, maybe you're frustrated with prayer. You, you've tried and it just hasn't happened. I would guess that some of you really don't believe that prayer does anything. I, I would guess that others of you would love to have a strong prayer life, but it's for whatever reason, it just hasn't really taken place. Others of you, prayer is, is life-giving. It's, it's real, it's working, but I think God wants to lift all of us to a new level of prayer in 2020 so that prayer is life-giving. It's meaningful. You're, you're sensing God's presence. You're, you're experiencing His faith being poured out upon you. You're, there's a great, greater zeal. We want to pray that God will move with great power, not just so that we get the benefit of that, although we will and it will be glorious, but because God has chosen to use our prayers. He's made our prayers crucial for the fulfillment of his promises. That's why. Now, why would God give prayer such a crucial role? Again, God could fulfill all these promises without any of us praying at all, right? Sending the Messiah, conquering Satan's kingdom, saving people from every nation, tongue, and tribe. God could do that all by himself without any of us praying at all. Do you you feel the weight of that? So why then does God say that our prayers are going to have a crucial role in the fulfillment of his promises? I thought of three reasons. There's probably more, but these are the three that I thought of. One is because prayer gives us sweet communion with God. Our greatest joy as human beings is in fellowshipping with the living God through Jesus by the Holy Spirit. Those times where God pours His love into your heart and shows you His glory and you feel His presence There is no greater joy for a human being than communion with God. And prayer is the main way we experience communion with God. Prayer through worship, prayer of intercession, of confession, whatever it might be. But prayer is one of the main ways we experience this communion. And so God has said, let me show you how important prayer is. I'm choosing to have your prayers have an essential, crucial part in the fulfilling of God's promises to motivate us to pray so that we'll have even more joy in Him as we do. It's God's love that gives us that call to prayer. It's God's love that makes prayer that important. It's because God wants you to have more of the joy of communion with Him. Does that make sense? Second reason, prayer glorifies God's mercy. God loves to display the glory of His mercy because the more we see the glory of His mercy, the more joy we have in Him. So He loves to display the glory of His mercy and prayer displays the glory of God's mercy. Picture King Hezekiah praying for God to deliver them from Sennacherib. Okay, think about who God is. God is massively big, fills the heavens infinite in power sovereign majestic huge and here's little tiny milky way and then there's little teeny tiny solar system and then if you look really there's a little earth down there little hezekiah down on that earth okay and he says god of the universe help us and the massive god of the universe here's little hezekiah says yes What a glorious God that he would listen to prayers from little people, undeserving people, unworthy people like us, and do mighty works in response of us asking him. That displays the glory of God's mercy. No other God acts like that besides the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When he answers prayer, it says, God, you are glorious. Third reason, it's because prayer gives us a crucial role in God's global plan of salvation. And this is is huge. You have a crucial role in people being saved from every nation, tongue, and tribe by praying. And sharing the gospel and other things. But we're talking about prayer this morning. You have a crucial role in seeing Satan's kingdom defeated. We're talking here about by praying. You have a crucial role in having the earth be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea by praying. You have a crucial role. And the picture I get is that when we are standing there before God in heaven. And we see Jesus Christ, the God-man, shining with glory and majesty and nobility and beauty, shining, splendor. And we see that he is the Lamb who was slain. And we're standing before the one who came and was beaten and was scourged and was nailed to the cross and suffered because he loved us and gave himself up for our sins when we see Jesus and when we see Jesus being worshiped by thousands and thousands of angels any one of whom we would just bow down before they are so ablaze with glory but before Jesus glory they're like nothing and here Jesus is being worshiped by thousands and thousands of angels and when we see that And we see all the glory that's coming to Jesus because of all the people that were saved from every nation, tongue, and tribe, how the church was built, churches were planted, Satan's kingdom defeated, the earth filled with his glory. We see all of that. It's just going to be astonishing to realize that you had a part in all of this. You had a part in this. Your prayers for Jesus, build your church. Jesus, glorify your name in Abu Dhabi. Raise up more churches. Unite the churches in Abu Dhabi. Let let forgiveness so the churches aren't splitting, but they're together, Lord. And purify us. Make us more obedient to you. Cause us to love you more. Set us free from sin. Lord, send laborers into the Gulf region. Plant churches here. Push back Satan's power. Save the lost. Save people in my neighborhood. Save people in my workplace. You have had a part in the glory that will come to Jesus Christ. Why? Because God has chosen to have your prayers play a crucial role in the fulfillment of His promises. That's why. So, what I want to encourage you to do is pray. Pray. God has ways for you, times for you, Uh, Approaches for you. We'll be talking more about that in the weeks to come, but I want to call you as an individual I want to call us as grace church to pray We do not see at all clearly enough. I don't we don't how vital and powerful Prayer is for the fulfilling of God's purposes We need to see that more clearly and when we do when we see that God has chosen To have your prayers, my prayers, be crucial for the fulfillment of his promises. We will pray. So, let's pray. Stand up. Let's pray for this, for us. I ask, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit now upon each of us here. I pray, Lord, for any here who are not yet trusting Jesus. Thank you that they're here this morning. We're so glad that you brought them. And Lord, would you use this message now to help them see what is happening in the world. That you are real. That we have sinned that you are a savior and that you have sent Jesus and that they can be completely forgiven and restored into glorious relationship with you through trusting Christ. Lord, I pray that right now you would save people here in this room, that they would turn from their sin, put their trust in Jesus and receive all that you promised to give to them. And I pray for those of us who are trusting your Holy Son, Lord, that you would stir us with how you want us to take steps ahead in prayer. Lord, we want to say yes. We want to be people who pray night and day. We know there's other responsibilities we're called to as well, but Lord, help us to take up the mantle of prayer, to take up the call to pray and to say yes, Lord. So I pray that you'd be moving upon us. We want to surrender fully to you and obey you in your call to pray. So come and work in our hearts, Lord, we pray.